Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been working our way through Acts. As I've been going through this passage, just in chapter 2 now, the reality has been having an understanding of our need for empowerment by the Spirit of God in our lives. The need for empowerment for, for you and I to be all that God wants us to be as individuals where you live, in your families, where you work, and all that God wants us to be even as a church in our community. You know, there, there are people around us who don't know Christ, who couldn't care less, that go every day without even acknowledging Him. And, you know, the reality is, is maybe there's somebody here who's like that, that goes every day without really acknowledging Him. Real, we just live our lives in the norm. And you may even have devotions and just go the rest of your day without acknowledging Him. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to be you with Jesus for the rest of your life. And so he's given us that spirit, and we've been seeing that. And it's been my prayer that as we've gone through this, and as we're going through this, that we would understand the reality of the life that he has given us. And really, who's at the center of it? It's not me or you at the center of it. It's Jesus. And so in our passage today, Peter, if you remember, it was after the spirit came down, and Spirit manifested himself upon them and they were speaking in other languages and, and the Jews who were gathered there from various parts of the empire were hearing these Galileans speaking in their own language. And, you know, some were interested. Boy, these people are praising God. What's going on here? Some were scoffing. These guys must be drunk. Remember, Peter then stood up and said, Men, you know, of Israel, these are not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And then he went on and explained the significance of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that last week about why it is so important for you and I to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it is. He then, as after he explains that prophecy from Joel, he then starts now in verse 22 up to verse 36. And we're going to look at it here in a moment. He's going to get to the heart of why it's happening. So he's shown us... The Spirit needed to come and do this. The Spirit needs to empower us. He's now going to show us why. See, let me just stop for a moment. When we talk about empowerment in our lives as believers, it's not an option. Let me just stop for a moment. This is not something I can choose to do on Tuesday and and maybe decide by Friday that I've had enough of it and go on and do what I want to do. It's not an option. You are either empowered... Or, let me just stop for you, the Bible is very clear, you are either grieving or you are quenching the Spirit. He is either in control of your life or you are just doing your own thing and you've said to Him, I'll talk to you later when I need you. And let's be honest, most of us adopt that latter attitude. I'll talk to you later when I need you. And have you noticed, when we, when we do need Him, it's awfully awkward for us to go to Him to seek help because we really haven't had a any interaction with him. We've been quenching him. We've been doing our own thing. And you know what? We can even get to the place of quenching him and thinking we're okay because we do all the other stuff right. We show up on Sunday. We give. We read our Bibles. We maybe even volunteer. 
But you know what? Again, let me remind you. Those are all outward things. And God doesn't look on the outward. He looks where? In our heart. It is about who you really are. And you know, and we can put on airs with each other and, and we, can, we, can look, we can look good, but yet not be good. Because we're not empowered, because we're quenching him. So what he's going to do today, he's going to show us, he's going to explain to them why these things are happening. Why is there an empowerment of the church today? And listen, as we understand why, it's going to understand why you need to be empowered. And at the heart of why is a person, Jesus. Jesus. And that's what empowers us. It's his spirit working in us because of our love for him. And that's what Peter's getting ready to talk to us about because he's saying, guys, listen, this is happening because of a person. So listen to what he says. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have, no, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's, uh, let's look at what Peter's saying. Direct our attention to two different aspects of who Christ is, because he really is the center of everything that's going on here. First of all, he's going to talk about Jesus as the Messiah and Savior, and then he's going to talk about Jesus the Exalted One and what that means for you and I. First of all, as Messiah and Savior. First of all, I want you to notice what he said. His works on earth proved who he was. Look with me at verse 22. What does he say there? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. When you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at his earthly ministry, you cannot help but be awestruck by what he did. He was not just a good teacher, as some people say. There was a lot of good teachers. But how many good teachers do you know 
make the lame walk. How many people do you know can go to a leopard and cleanse them? And let me just stop for a moment so that you understand what I'm talking about because you might say, well, well, there's people who claim to make people lame and walk again. Yeah, but how many people do you know can go to a leopard who have a skin disease that is so bad it literally eats part of your body away and then go and make the flesh whole again? How many of you know people like that? How many people do you know or how many good teachers do you know can speak the word to a child who is dead and say, wake up, little one. And she wakes up. How many can speak the word to someone laying in the grave for three days and tell them to rise up and come forth? Jesus was more than just a teacher. He was more than just a man. His whole life, his whole ministry reflected on that. People saw it. And listen, I'll be honest with you. We say, well, why did they crucify him then? Because he was speaking against the norms of the day, against the power structures of the day. He was the ultimate rebel, just to be honest with you. Jesus was the ultimate rebel. He didn't like the status quo. In fact, when you notice Jesus, the main group that he's always coming into contention with is who? Not sinners. Religious people. People who think they got their act together. But they really don't. See, what Peter is saying to us, he's saying, guys, listen up. The reason why this is happening is because there was somebody among us and everything about him, everything about his ministry, all that he did, his works proved who he was. He was the Messiah. And he was among us. He was among us. Now, here's the next thing he wants to point out. And and it's interesting because you need to look at what he's saying here. He was killed by sinful man according to God's plan. Look with me. Look at what it says, verse 23. Him being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Now, look at the way that sentence is structured there because it's very interesting. The you is referring to who, everybody? Who is it referring to? Who's his audience? Jews. But then notice what he says, by lawless hands. That's obviously not their hands because they were committed to what? The law. Who's he referring to there? Who are the lawless ones? Gentiles. Here's what I want you to see. So Peter is making a point here that everyone is culpable. Everyone has a part in the death of Jesus Christ. Everyone. They gave him to the Romans and the Romans crucified him. They're just as responsible. In fact, you know that today in our court of law, don't you? I mean, you can hire a hitman and take out somebody, and yeah, if he gets caught, he's going to jail, but guess what? So are you. Even though you didn't pull the trigger or or do the deed, you are just as culpable. And spiritually, let's be honest with it, every one of us here, let's stop for a moment, every one of us here are just as responsible for the death of Jesus as they were 2,000 years ago. Why? Our sins. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says something that is very convicting to me. The writer of Hebrews, speaking about my sin, says that when we sin, we crucify him afresh. It's really not a passage I like to think about all the time, because like many of you, or all of you, I what? Sin. And a passage like that convicts me because the reality is is that what I do, and I make excuses for my sin. I don't know about you, but I make excuses for my sin. Don't you make excuses for your sins? 
oh, that's just my personality. That's because my mama beat me. You know, my daddy didn't pay enough attention to me. You know, was my coach, my pastor. No, the responsibility is with who? With myself. And the fact of the matter is, is he was killed by sinful man. Who? Put yourself there. He was killed by you and I. But here's the interesting thing. Peter makes the point here that it just didn't happen recklessly. He makes a point here that it happened according to whose plan. So who was always in control? God. Why was he in control? Because he had a purpose for Jesus dying. What was that purpose? Our salvation. Because why? Do you understand what a Christ is or a Messiah? Do you understand what the term of that means? A Messiah is a deliverer. And by his death he delivered us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's awesome because you think about it, I don't deserve to be delivered. Neither do you. So, he makes that point. He was killed by sinful man according to God's plan. Now, here's the other thing that he says to us in this passage, and he does it in a long way. He, he kind of, it, it's probably the heart of what we're talking about here. It's really the center portion because he's trying to make an emphasis here to help them to understand something because what he's talking about is the resurrection. And what he's saying here is this, death could not hold him in the grave. Death couldn't hold him in the grave. And listen, he gives several proofs to the resurrection of Jesus. Several proofs to to prove to this crowd that he is raised from the dead. Number one, he proves it by the scripture itself. So he gives that quote there. So if you look at verse 25 through 28, he's really giving a quote from Psalm 16 here, where David is writing and he talks about the fact that it's the Messiah, basically, the, the portion of Scripture is talking about the Messiah not seeing corruption in the grave. He wasn't going to see corruption. So you understand what we mean by corruption in the, in the New Testament here when it talks about the grave. It's talking about the decomposition process. You know, we're all aware of that. Just drive down the road with the window down and, and you can smell decomposition going on around you because of the animals that have been hit lately. But what he's saying is, so he's saying to him, the scriptures pointed to the fact that the Messiah would not, if he died, would not face corruption in the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. He then goes on and he gives another proof from David and says, look, men, look around you. We have David's tomb with us to this day. And here's what David said about him. And notice what he said about him. Look, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Here he's acknowledging something about this Messiah, not only just his resurrection, he's acknowledging that this Lord, this is Lord, this is God. But there's another proof here that's interesting, and Peter makes the point here, and here's what he's saying. Peter's making the point, we saw the empty tomb. We were witnesses of his resurrection. See, the grave couldn't hold him. Aren't you glad for that? Let me just stop for a moment. Every once in a while, in fact, this happened... Oh, probably a year, a year and a half ago, maybe you watched it on the news that somebody said they found the bone box of Jesus or the tomb of Jesus. You might as well take that with a grain of salt. That's like saying somebody saw Elvis at Walmart. Do you know what I'm saying? But all of a sudden it makes the big headlines. So we see Jesus, the Messiah and Savior. Now, he goes on, then in 33 and 36, and this is the one that's most important for you and I because he's going to talk about Jesus, the exalted one. He's going to say several things here. Number one, that Jesus is exalted to a place of authority. 
Not only was he raised from the dead, but look with me at what he says here in verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So what is he saying? As he ascended to heaven, God exalted him because of his humility, because of placing others before himself, because of his obedience and going to the cross, because of his resurrection. God exalted him to a place above all others. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's who he is. You know, some of us, we get so worked up about who our leaders are. Sometimes I do. But you know when I do that? Guess what I'm forgetting? Here's what I'm forgetting. Who's really in charge? And you know what? And sometimes I can get disappointed with God and say, God, why, why are you letting this happen? Why are you doing that? Well, you never notice that, you know, I remember growing up with my mom and dad, and sometimes they did things I didn't understand either, but it was because they what? Knew better. As a 12-year-old, what do you know? I mean, I mean, you know something at 12, but you really know something when you're in your 30s and 40s. And for my seniors here, you really know something when you've reached your age, right? Because you've experienced it. And I've got to remember that Jesus was exalted to a place of authority on high. There's no one like Him. No one. He's in control. He's in charge. And so then, notice something, and here's where the reality, this is how it fits for you and I today, especially with this issue of empowerment. Here's what it says there in verse 33, that he received from the Father the promise. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit. And look at what he does. Look at what he says here. Jesus empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Listen, let me just stop for a moment. I've got to explain myself to you. Remember earlier I said to you that the empowerment is not an option? Remember I said to that? And I said, it's not like something you can seek on Tuesday and, and not really worry about on the weekend. It's not an option. And here's the reason why it's not an option. Because some of you maybe are disagreeing with me, and I want to help you to understand why it is so important for you and I to seek the empowerment of the Spirit of God in our life. Because you're either empowered or you're grieving Him. You're quenching Him. Here, let me explain to you why. And this is why. Two reasons. Number one, Jesus is the one who gave Him to us. That in itself should be enough. Peter is saying to this crowd, the reason why this is happening is because this Jesus who was exalted, received from the Father this promise, and what you are seeing now is the outpouring of that upon our lives. But there's another reason. Jesus said, I go from you and I will send to you another comforter, is what the King James says. Other translations put it helper. And when you read through John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, it makes it very clear that Jesus is sending someone just like him to be with us. He's fulfilling his promise. See, he doesn't want you to be alone. He wants the Spirit to be there to guide you, to empower you, to live the life that you want. He wants you to have for you. And and again, it's not an option. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. How far would you get in your marriages if you just decided, well, I don't think I'm going to work on it this week. Don't really need her today. Or him. Life would be so much better without them. I'm in control. Where would you get in your marriages? I'll tell you where you would get. The courthouse. And if you don't make it there, you get misery. But so many of us have that thinking in terms of our of, of Jesus in our lives. I don't need that empowerment thing. Well, then you just what you're you're just going to grieve it. You're just going to grieve the Spirit. He wants to be a part of your life. 
Don't you understand it? He gave you. He came because Jesus sent him to what? Be there. Be a part of your lives. Aren't you glad he did that? You need the very real presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Will you say, well, he's already in my life. I accepted him as Christ. Yes, that's true. He, he does enter into you as a seal. He does enter into you as a security until that day in which Christ returns. Yes, that's true. But the reality is, is you know what? Are you just existing with him or are you living with him? And we need to go beyond just existing with him to living with him. Jesus found it important to send him. Don't you think he should be important in our lives? He goes on then, and he makes another point here, and I think it's very interesting. Look with me at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, here's here's what he says. Here's what he's saying to these folks. Jesus is Lord and Deliverer. Jesus is Lord and Deliverer. Can I debunk something right now? I get so irritated when I hear this stuff. I hear people say things, well, I accept Jesus as Savior, but I'm not ready for that Lord thing yet. What? What are you saying? He's Savior because He's Lord. Period. He's Savior because He's God. Period. And the only one who could take away my sins is God. And the sacrifice of God on the cross. And so Peter is making a point to them. Wake up, folks. You need to acknowledge who He is. And who He is is who? Lord and Deliverer. That's what Christ means. Deliverer. He is Lord. See, it's not an option for you and I. Listen to me. This goes back to the whole issue of the quenching of the Spirit thing. This goes back to the whole grieving of the Spirit thing. So many of us think it's just an option. Oh, Jesus forgives me. Jesus loves me. I can just do what I want to do. How many of you did that with your daddies? I sure didn't. Many times I broke my parents' heart. I paid it. See, we just have. Here's what's going on here. Can I can I remind you of something here? We have we we kind of think of Jesus like some kind of abstract thing. You know, it's just like some kind of thing over here, and I'm over here just living my life, and and he but he's there when I need him. Man, you have forgotten something. If the Holy Spirit's in your life, he's with you. He tells the Corinthians because they were they were uh, frequenting prostitutes that. When they engaged in that activity with that prostitute, they were joining Christ with that activity. Think about that. Joining Christ into that sinful activity is what he says in Corinthians. So it's not like some abstract thing over here. When we sin, we literally hurt him. We grieve him. Why do we have that concept? Let me just stop for a moment. Why do we have that concept? Because he's just Savior. And we've downplaced the reality of who he is, Lord. And that Jesus Christ lays claim to my life and yours. Jesus Christ lays claim to the entire planet and universe because he's exalted above all. And I need to recognize that. Here, just three thoughts. These are real. Ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you, folks? Is he just some teacher? Is he just some character from Sunday school that you learned all these years? See, you know, we teach so much about him, we can become indifferent to him. We just kind of, we lose the reality of who he is. You know what I mean? The excitement of it is, you know? But here's the, here's the reality. Here's listen to what I'm saying to you. We can get like natives that we get so used to something being close by that we don't pay any attention to it. 
And you can get like that in your life with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand me? Who is he to you? Is he just Savior? Is he my buddy? My friends, he isn't just your buddy. He isn't just Savior. He's Lord. He's God of the universe, Creator, Ruler, Supreme One who's coming back to set things right. He's the just one who will take care of the things that have happened wrongly to me and who I look forward to. He is the one who will reward me in that day when I go to be with Him. He is the one who will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus, who is He to you? You know, that's a good question. Don't answer it right now. You've got to think on that one. You've got to be like a cow and chew on that for a while. You've got to think, Lord, who am I? have I been flippant about you or are you real? Because listen, if He's real, it will affect the way you live. You know, you say, what do you mean affect the way you live? Listen to me. When I grew up, I didn't do right. But when I went out, there was a restraining factor in my life. And that restraining factor was a guy by the name of George Ray Cannon Sr. And I was his boy. And I sure did not want to do something to bring ill repute on his name or affect his career or, or do whatever as a as a milit- career military man as he was, and living on bases and stuff. And I, I acted, I mean, there was a restraint in my life. Now, I found ways around the restraint, like we all would, but there was a restraint in my life, and the restraint in my life was as I carried the name of a man who was serious about me doing right. And my friends, you carry the name of Christ, who is the Lord of the universe. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? Let's go on then. The next thing I wanted you to do is, number one, recognize that He will fulfill His promises. He's going to fulfill His promises. He already did with one saying He'll send the Holy Spirit to empower us. He's going to fulfill them. Some of you right now are struggling. You, you maybe are going through some difficult times. You're maybe going through some hardships and you're wondering if Jesus is really there for you. You're wondering if Jesus is really going to help you through this. You're wondering where the next paycheck is coming from. You've got this bill due. And you're wondering, Lord, you said you'd provide my needs. Will you be there? Let me tell you something. What we see from this passage is, is that Jesus is the one who fulfills his promises. Period. You can bank on that. Now, don't take that to the bank. They won't give you anything for it. But you can, in your heart, know that he'll take care of it. He'll fulfill his promises. And listen, let me just stop for a moment. The the reality is, it's not him that the issue is with. The issue is with us. We're the ones who are fickle. We're the ones who waver in our faith. We're the ones who struggle with doubt. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said he'll take care of you, you better believe it. He'll take care of you. Now, you may be eating venison instead of T-bone steak, but he's still taking care of you. Isn't that reality? Next thing, and this is what we've been saying for the last few weeks, then. If we recognize the reality of who he is and what he's done for us, we need to seek his empowerment for your life and witness. You need to seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to come to that place of quit quenching him, quit grieving him, And allow Him to guide you in your life. You need to be all that He wants you to be. Isn't that what we want? Let me just say something. I'm saying this to me. George, you need to quit giving lip service to it and start seeking it with your whole heart. Folks, if I'm at that point, maybe you are too. We've got to quit giving lip service 
and seek His empowerment for our lives. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.